Hello everyone, this is Jared Adelson, and it's a pleasure to have you listening in today. Welcome to the Olay Brand Podcast. For those who have no background on me, I'm the founder of Olay Brand, which has been created to provide you with the best content in the freestyle scootering industry. In case you are unfamiliar with my riding and dedication I have towards growing this sport, I welcome you to view my best scootering video part available on YouTube titled Jared Adelson Web Edit 5. On the podcast, I will be having casual yet deep conversations with the top scooter riders on the planet and interesting individuals around the world. This podcast has been developed to show the human side of riders beyond their incredible talents and will deliver tools, habits, lessons learned, and tactical advice from individuals around the world with the hopes of motivating, inspiring, entertaining, and providing valuable insight for you listening in today. My guest for today is an absolute legend of scooter riding and without a doubt, one of these sports pioneers, the man, Dan Barrett. Dan hails from America and is one of the most influential riders of all time. Dan is one of the most technical riders to ever touch a scooter, performing countless combos that essentially no other rider on earth is even capable of dreaming of. Dan was a part of the original Proto team, having a part in one of Scootering's most legendary full-length videos, The Proto Catalyst. Dan is truly one of the pioneers of freestyle scooter riding in America and has been an incredible ambassador, promoting our sport to the youth for more years than I've even been riding. Dan has over 50,000 followers on Instagram, but much more importantly than that, has had an everlasting impact on our sport and inspired countless individuals around the world. Dan has worked and rode for Phoenix Pro Scooters for over eight years, and has recently parted ways this past week from Phoenix. Today, we'll be diving into this and lots more. Be sure to find Dan on Instagram, at Dan Barrett. So without further ado, let's get right into it by welcoming the man himself, Dan Barrett. Yo, thanks for talking me up, man. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm super stoked to have you on, Dan. It's going to be uh, gonna be really good, I think. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so let's get right into it, Dan. Just let's start by getting some background. Like, tell us where you grew up and how long you've been riding and how you started scootering. Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Philly. It's a town called Levittown, um, about 30, 40 minutes from Center City, Philadelphia. And, um, yeah, I got a scooter for Christmas around the year 2000. So technically, I guess I started riding in 2001. Wow. Um, yeah, just kind of riding an old A <clears throat> razor setup. Um, my brother's got some scooters from the boardwalk in Atlantic City prior to that. So, you know, I, I wanted one really bad because of that. So I was riding with my brothers growing up. Um, met some other kids around town like Kevin Van Ocker, Alan Getz. Um, there's some some riders who also tried out for micro back in the early days. Kevin Van Ocker was on micro with me. And then, um, yeah, from there, uh, got a sponsor with micro around 2006, seven ish. And then, um, yeah, then comes, comes razor, got on razor with a little sponsor tape. I sent it to Ollie. I did a little hang five in Philly. Uh, there's like a median in between two roads 
it was dead of winter. I had like my big ass jacket on, big gloves. <laughs> and then um the first trip when I met up with, with Ollie and Razor in California that flew me out around 2008, 2009 for an SD comp. Um, Ollie showed it to me. He actually had the clip saved on his desktop. And he's like, dude, I watch this all the time because he comes from a skateboarding background and he's really technical. So I guess he really appreciated that aspect of, of my riding. And then, um, yeah, Razor definitely, definitely got me like concreted into the industry because, um, there was a VHS tape from Toys R Us that they sold called Evolution. Once I popped that in and saw what scootering was capable of, it was it was all history from there. Got on Proto around 2010. Or not 2010, that's when the first full link came out. I was on Proto probably around 2008, 2009 after Razor, which didn't last too long. And then... um yeah, from there, rode for Razor or for Proto for a few years, and um, got the opportunity to ride for Phoenix, which then took basically my whole sort of hobby aspect to it to uh, to a career side of it, which was like a stepping stone for me to to get out of the plumbing work and and kind of just like live the dream for a while. Um, yeah, and then. Fast forward eight plus years later, um, I'm parting ways with Phoenix and I still have my other sponsors that are, you know, huge, huge um, foundations in the sport, which will will last a lifetime. So I think, you know, just finding out the details and, you know, debugging everything that's been that's been happening over the years and sort of just uh, mainstreaming my riding and uh, also back into my trade work, which is plumbing. So uh, I'm, I'm really digging what's going on. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So before, before we get into, into Phoenix or anything, I'd like to just, you know, kind of hear a little bit more about your early days um, when you did start riding. Like, so you said you're riding with, Kevin Bannocker and some other guys like um Alan Getz, um <clears throat> my brother. There was a ton of other riders. We had a little crew called Demolition. We made a little video part with our little um mini D V video cameras. I don't know where those those are at now, but yeah. Uh, those guys stopped riding over a decade ago. So um yeah, started out with a little crew called Demolition. And um, the dream was to always, you know, get on a razor or a micro. So when when a sponsorship opportunity came up, micro was like we're sponsoring five U.S. riders, and there was dozens of, of sponsor tapes. And me and Kevin Van Ocker and Alan Getz all made one. We're all from the same town, and um, I know Matt Ogle actually tried out a few times. Um, but yeah, Kevin and I got on micro. We got a few packages. Matt Andrus was the sort of the TM because he would get all the packages sent to him. Matt Andrus would then send it to us. And that's how I did transit because Matt Andrus is from Wisconsin. And his older brother, John Andrus, is a BMX rider. He used to do a few shows um, on his BMX bike. And, uh, yeah, so that's when I went out to Wisconsin as well. I was on micro at the time. 
and we filmed a full-length DVD of where we're just traveling from skate park to skate park around Wisconsin. And, uh, yeah, eventually Transit 2 came out, which I wasn't a part of, but I still have a few of those copies of Transit 1, which is pretty sweet. Wow, yeah, so amazing. I've, I've actually never seen the Transit 1, so I think I'm going to have to somehow find that around. That that is yeah, it's it's on YouTube. Yeah. Man. Okay. Cool. Um, you'll have to send me that link, and I'll link it in the show notes for anyone who wants to watch that. Um, yeah. So, but when you started riding, who who was there to? Who did you look up to? Um, like who was riding before you? You know, how did you find the inspiration to to do all the things you do and came up with you know oh, all those it, ideas? Absolutely, man. That uh, that's a good point because I didn't bring up the the main dude who sort of. He showed me scooter resource. His name was John Mattis. And uh, so I'm riding around town with, with Kevin Van Ocker. We're hitting a bunch of schools and ledges. We're filming for demolition. And this kid, John Mattis, comes up with, like, a bolted pro model. Not pro model at the time, but it was an A, like an old A. And he just shows up, and we're just, like, in all of his scooter. And he's hitting this forced there handrail. He's doing, like double tail ups off the ledge and uh it was amazing because we're just like you know we we were so isolated just riding him and i and john mattis comes into our life and he just writes on a small piece of paper like scooterresource.com check it out (laughs) oh my goodness we we checked it out um and then we linked up with john I i feel like me and kevin were sort of like cornballs at the time because like in John Mattis's eyes because we were doing one foot manuals like as many parking spaces as we can we're playing scoot with John and John's like oh you can't hop in your fakies you can't do one foot manuals that's <laughs> called a wheelie so like we were like younger kids and I guess we didn't come off as as cool as as he was because he has been on scooter resource for a little while before we were and uh he was also on a crew called the Philly crew and then I, I met the rest of the Philly crew, which was Mike McGowan, Casey Murphy, Brian Boston, who invented the bri flip. And they were out of Philly. So I think the first time I met him was a TIC comp in 2006, which I won best trick with like a scooter faking nose blunt. And I think I, I also won that, con- that best trick contest because nobody else landed their best trick. But... <laughs> I also did a little little something different that not everybody was used to. And yeah, from there they would they would come and come from Levittown, like they would come from northeast Philly to Levittown to come pick me up to ride. Like we would go to Jersey skate parks because they were all free. We would go to the you know, the suburbs of Philly where like Street Banks is a iconic park in, in the Philly crew videos. Um We'd go to Philly. I'd also tell my mom, like, yeah, I'm going to ride around town all day. I'll, I'll be back because, you know, I was, like, 14, 15 years old. My mom wasn't letting me, like, drive in somebody's car that she didn't know all around Jersey and all around PA. So I kind of extended the truth with my mom. And from there, they would take me around. We started filming for the Philly crew. I didn't get featured in the first Philly crew until like TPC seven. So they had been laying the groundwork for the Philly crew way before I met them. Um, 
Yeah, and I also remember, like, me and Kevin made our own TPC shirts without, like, asking them. So that first TIC contest, we're, we're just here repping TPC. And uh, I guess technically we weren't on the Philly crew yet. No, uh... So when Brian Boston and Casey Murphy walked in, they had some beef with, with us kind of claiming that we're on the Philly crew, repping the Philly crew. But it was all good because within a little while, we were a part of the, the crew and in the DVDs and whatnot. Wow, crazy. Yeah. So tell me more, a little bit more about, um, like, what, around? do you know what year that was that you found the Scooter Resource? And then also, like, when you did find the Scooter Resource, like, tell me a little bit about how that changed your, I guess, outlook on scootering and if you were able to, you know, find more, maybe some external inspiration other than um, those close, you know, prox- uh, phys- right. Right, so I'd, I'd have to guess around 2005, I'd have to really ch- go back on Scooter Resource and see when I joined as a member. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, yeah, that's that's a good, that's rough enough, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, 2005, and it was like amazing going on this website and seeing scooter riders around the world, like your Cody Donovan's, Martin Kimball was a huge inspiration for me, and still is. He would do like downside front scooter flips on banks. Um he would do like over five O's or ice picks, whatever you want to call it, especially back then um, on little spines in his driveway. And it was just amazing going on scooter resource, seeing video of the week, seeing clip of the week, seeing like rider of the year, which I think I was like overall best rider of the year in 2009 on scooter resource. Um, so yeah, just like around 2005 got on scooter resource huge connection network of scooter riders around the world just on one website where I was uploading videos every week filming myself like there's a little spot up top of my street called the mortuary back it was like a funeral home just little curbs long manual pad just put my camera down film myself go home couldn't wait to like put it up in the put it up on the website everybody like gives me feedback so, like, I hit the ground running once I found Scooter Resource because it was, like, you know, just, like, every man for themselves showing each other what they got. Yeah. So, it was just, it was motivational and, like, humbling at, at such an early age. Oh, it's amazing. That's so cool to hear. And then, you know, I'm sure it's also probably very rewarding your, you know, maybe you didn't realize at the time or maybe you did, but, like, you know, to, that there's a community around the world and um, seeing that this is, you know, something that, people do uh, other than just you know um the few few guys you're able to know close by but so i'm sure that yep. helps some apply some motivation as well yeah so um you know t- tell us about like your perspective on the evolution of scootering that you've seen from sort of the days you began riding to to now like did you, did you ever expect that our sport would get to this point today I guess not, because I never actually thought about it as a sport or, like, this huge community. Because, like I said, I got in it at such an early age that, like, there's still kids that age or even younger getting into the sport or the industry now. So, I guess sort of being on the forefront of that wave, for me, it's, like, sort of all I know. So, it's like I'm still doing it because that's what I've been doing since such an early age. When I 
it wasn't so many younger kids than me doing it. So it was like, I'm getting older. I'm still getting older. I'm still getting older. I'm still doing it. But people are still coming in under underneath us, underneath me. So it's like, I just feel like it keeps growing. It keeps getting stronger. It's a huge foundation because almost every young kid in America, like, gets a scooter at some point, including me. So it's like, what what do they do with it? Do they go on the freestyle aspect? Do they just do it for fun? Do they keep it in the garage and it collects dust? So it's, I think the scooter is just like a sweet, like, tool for people to express, have fun, and then, you know, they can build on that. They can, nowadays you have your YouTube channels, they, it's pretty much the same thing as Scooter Resource in a, in a different way. It's just them, them filming themselves and sharing it around the world because we can all relate on this, on this one thing that we ride. So it's, uh. I don't know if I answered your question yeah, no, correctly. That was that was that was an amazing answer. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're great. Um yeah, so you know, but before we get it any further, I know all our listeners are dying to know. Um could, could you tell us more about a bit what happened with Phoenix? Um, how come you left? <clears throat> yeah. Um it's not something I you know, something like I was dying to do or wanted to do. It was something more like the riders and I, because all the riders, yeah, we all. Oh, you know, I was team manager for years, and um, I was friends and and close homies with all the team managers before that, um, all the way from like the first team manager. So, I sort of helped build up that team. So, for me, it was almost like even if I didn't have that role as a team manager, I sort of felt obligated um, that that was my team almost and then like connect with them and, and communicate with them. So whatever happens with the owners, there's not a lot of communication to, you know, to those riders and these, these riders, this is their, this is their life. That's like what they, they live and sleep and breathe. So um, when things change with the company, whatever that may be financially decisions with products, um, the team what's most important for them maybe not be like the same for us so um yeah so things sort of changed from a corporation aspect from the owner down and uh it wasn't so great for us to continue riding for him because it wasn't gonna sort there was no opportunity for us to continue growing or give back to the company so we were sort of like at this standstill for a while waiting for things to change and grow and into the company and especially invest back in the industry. And it wasn't happening up to our standards as, you know, as a rider, you just don't want to sit around and promote something and just get free products that you don't like or have no, no input on, you know, from the early days, we had lots of input on the product, but once, once roles change as owners and uh, decisions change and what's priority, it's a and they change over time, which wasn't best for us to continue representing that brand. So, uh, you know, it's it's all good while we left. Like, no hard feelings. It's just something we had to do. And, you know, we, uh, we just couldn't continue riding or promoting a brand that's sort of not doing much. You know what I mean? And we've been, we've held it out for so long that it's like, it's, a, it's worth our while to sort of, 
go through those hard times, but those hard times just sort of like in our, in our eyes, it was hard times for the owner's eyes. It was just, it is what it is. It's a business. It's part of the portfolio. It's part of growing a business. Uh, they're operating on bank loans. Like, I don't want to get too much into details, but it's just like, you know, core riders who like express and love riding so much when it becomes about the dollar. I mean, of course it needs to be about the dollar to operate, but when, when it's not translating to all the riders of like, you know, when like the owner's not translating all this to the riders, it's me, but I'm not being paid or, or appreciated for this role it's sort of just like it kind of vanished of like what are we even doing what are we representing so for us to uh make it worth our time and while it's just we had to go somewhere else or just leave totally so um whatever happens that company it's all good for them but for us it's we had to leave that in the past yeah yeah absolutely thanks so much for sharing dan and you know, I think it's definitely important that, you know, um, you take the steps to, you know, represent what's what's best for you. And, you know, if they're not able to, um, you know, meet the standards that you got you and, you know, the riders deserve. And uh, if don't have the same mission, you know, no, no reason to back it. I think it's amazing that you guys all did it together rather than, you know, one person leaving slowly at a time. And then everyone else, you know, kind of just waiting on expecting things to happen, but really are just kind of being taken advantage of in the end. Yeah, man, because if I were to just leave by myself, it's like you have so many riders like Jason Cheedy, Will Judy, Cassie Palin, Vermette, um, and a few others that are just like no communication with the owner. So yeah. it's like if I were to leave, they're just left in the dark. Frank doesn't even know. I was trying not to call names out, but the owner's name is Frank. Uh, regardless, um, no hard feelings at all. It's just I'm not trying to leave the riders that I put on the team that I scouted out, worked with for over the years, even though I'm not in the team manager position now. I felt obligated because it, it felt like my team. So, you know, we all did it together. We all agreed. Um, not a lot of riders wanted to do it. There's also Sten. He's from, man, Czech Republic or one of those countries over there. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know, but he was huge. And it's like Danny Schmidt, like Frank doesn't know any of these riders. So it's like they'll continue riding and representing the product that's been in the market for shit, man. The Ion deck's been out since 2010. We haven't had a new deck since. Wow. I've worked with engineers. I've worked with the factory and I can only do so much because, you know, they're the owners and they they cut the, the checks and you know i can only say so much of what we want to do and what we can do but it comes down to their decision so i'm getting the nose i'm getting the the direction that they want to go in and i have to relay this to the riders and i wasn't just trying to leave cooper wasn't just trying to leave without telling all this to the riders and giving them the chance to say hey you can stay on do what you want to email frank tell him to get you know introduce yourself you guys get used to each other, but uh, it's not really going to go anywhere anytime soon because, you know, look, example is the past, and I don't think ch- things are changing anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, like I personally want to thank you, and I think like the industry should thank you for you know taking that taking on that like role and responsibility. I guess um, you know to you know advise these riders because you know they're they're just riding the scooter. I don't think um, you know they don't they don't question these things as much. Maybe potentially I I can't say for you know anyone individually, but you know I think you as the older the older guy, you know the team manager, like it is your team. I think that's 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 pretty damn fair, and I'm happy that you uh. You know, we're looking out for all the guys and probably much, much better that everyone left in the long for the, each rider and, you know, for probably the industry as a whole. And then hopefully everyone's able to, you know, get some more opportunities. And if not, you know, it's all good. We'll just, you know, ride their scooter and enjoy. Um, yeah, man. And that's what you're seeing more of just these riders off the their Phoenix and they're just they're enjoying the ride more just because it's like, you know, not worried about representing a brand and like trying to trying to make somebody happy that they don't even know. So it's like, you know, I feel like it's, it's way better for them and it's a, it's weight lifted off of their chest as well. Just going back to the roots and just riding, having fun and, and maybe even like looking for new sponsors. I'm sure that's yeah, exciting. Yeah, as well. absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, get into as much or as little as you'd like, but could you, could you tell us a little more of like some of the, the company, um, changes over time that you know um slowly like um you know change the mission of what phoenix was doing and how it um you know um i don't know let's see i mean like <clears throat> there's a change of owners which which some unfortunate events happened with the old owner like health reasons and, and just personal reasons that he had to suffer and, uh, you know, I moved out to Portland for marketing manager, uh, marketing director position with Phoenix. So for me, just being a rider on the East Coast to then moving out to Oregon to actually have an office job yeah. and ride, that was sweet. You know what I mean? Like, and then some unfortunate events happened. Owners switched. We were sort of have a standstill in this gray area for a while. New owner came on board with some new missions. Um which were sweet. It was like a blessing in disguise at the time because I got to open up a retail shop in Portland called the divide. So that was a new adventure for me. Had employees there. I was riding on top of that, managing the team, managing the product, getting made with the factory in China, working with the distributors to get that product and marketing material out there. And, uh, yeah, it just was, it was best for, I guess somebody else to sort of take that, office job because i wanted to focus on the riding more so i took a step back from from being in the office 40 plus hours a week and also quote unquote being compensated for my riding so that's also when i picked up aztec because i felt like i was riding and working for phoenix so much that my riding was sort of put on the back burner so i picked up aztec also being on on phoenix so that was almost an avenue for me to, to ride more and to express more through my riding. So I guess when I got on Aztec, dropped at the marketing job, Jake Hershey picked all that up because he was already in the office doing sales and website work and back-end work with the websites and logistics. So it sort of made sense for that. But, you know, you can only be spread so thin, just like when I was doing everything. There was things falling through the cracks that the owner didn't realize I was doing or thought it wasn't important, but I felt like it was. Um, 
to where Jake's doing all this on top of his other 40 plus hour job that he already had. So eventually that sort of got spread so thin that it wasn't important to even have a team manager to even focus on product because the owners will do that. And once Jake left with that, it's just, it was like a trickle effect of like what's most important for, for the brand. And with the old owner, Tom, it was so passionate. It was so like, you know, core to the blood of like what matters to, okay, what makes more sense logistically. And, you know, I think with that trickle effect, we're here, we're here all leaving Phoenix. And, and now you can see Phoenix is sort of, you know, whoever, whatever they do with their company, we'll see what they do from this outcome, but just a long trickle effect of, of those small changes with, with the dollar yeah, sign. Yeah, no, say. absolutely. Um, yeah. So you, you said that you started up the, the divide, um, the divide or the ride divide. I'm sorry. Okay. The divide. It was yeah. the divide shop. Well, yeah. Ride the divide. Divide shop. There was a few different names for it. There's an Instagram okay. name that was different. Yeah. But, so uh, did Phoenix, yeah, the did they help you, um, get that set up? Or was that part of, uh, something that they wanted to do? Or was that your own sort of initiative and mission? It was with Turnstile Brands, which Phoenix. So, the divide. And it, we thought it was good for us to open. Years ago, like I'm sorry, Dan. The the connection was a little bit bad there. I don't know if you could possibly just uh, step that back and just um, tell us tell us from the beginning. Yeah. So the. Turnstile Brands is the one who owns the scooter shop. They're the distributor of Phoenix. So I was technically working for Turnstile Brands, and they sell to retailers all around North America. So we thought it was best for us to open up our own retailer because we thought we could do it as good or if not better, and the the local area needed it in, in Portland. So especially with all the products we were selling, we had a lot of returns. We had a lot of like damaged product that was almost like salvageable. Like you could almost like just sort of build up, use custom completes. And here's a bunch of used scooters. Here's like refurbished. Casey Corn was a huge part of the divide because he's the early days of scootering. So it was an opportunity for him to work in the industry and sell them, which was my job. So yeah, we opened up the divide shop, um, built out walls. We, we basically like made a retail shop within a month or two and wow. we brought up employees we would rebuild scooters, sell them to the area. I would also sell from the divide shop to other scooter shops like Rattle Can in Texas, the Volt, Barking Spider, Inward Scooters, Mothership. They would they would pick up all these scooters. Um, and that was that was cool. It was just like a new venture for me on top of, you know, a new venture for even turnstile from going from distributor Pretty much sums up. Okay. Yeah, very cool. Um, 
so I still want to get like a, a bit more like into the history of uh of you you know your your sort of journey journey with Phoenix and uh you know how kind of that started um years ago and you know who were your like original teammates and sort of some of the you know like big big transitions you saw over time from like eight years ago to to today so um I guess the standard deck came out for Phoenix and I saw some riders riding it in the US and an American made proto deck was barely out yet and it was just like you also had TSI but it was like Phoenix was scooping up riders like they had Evan Larson they had Cooper Clark was like the the original Phoenix he was from that area um John Ray's as well. He was an East Coast Connect. And I was just basically being a bug in Tom Floyd's ear, just like, yo, like, here's my videos. Check me out. Like, I'm motivated. I want to get on it. And then after like a month or two, he, he finally sent me a deck. And, um, you know, sooner than later, I got on the team with Phoenix. And, uh, you know, John Ray's and I would were pretty much like tag team partners at the time, riding for the brand and uh, just always riding between New York and Philly. And, yeah, from there, just um, things change with interests of, uh, of the people and team riders leave, people come and go, and, you know, the company was growing at the time, so I stayed with Phoenix. I thought that was best, and that's sort of the transition away from Proto is because, you know, all due respect, Proto wants you to ride all their parts where, well, I was riding a Phoenix deck for all proto parts. Andrew wasn't having that, which was totally cool, which I don't totally understand because Dylan Casson was riding a TSI deck, but he was still on proto. But it's all good. Got off proto, was representing Phoenix for a while. And, yeah, that's that. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a bit curious. T- tell us, like, um, you know, sort of the transition um, going from – from rider to to employee for Phoenix, um, you know, like how how that kind of came about, and you know, like I guess more about your day to day role when you you know went from I guess rider to employee. Yeah, so I was definitely killing it as a rider with Phoenix for a while on the East Coast and <clears throat> traveling worldwide for for contests and winning them and and just staying relevant and on top of the sport or the industry, I should say. And, uh, dude, out of nowhere, Tom hit me with that. Like, yo, we think we have an opening for a marketing director job. Like, I can send you over the details of what we what we think that job should entail. So we sent that over. It went from the team, working with the U.S. factory, uh, working with a budget for, for trade shows, for contests, getting a booth, social media, websites, Yo, had no background in this, fresh out of high school with a plumbing background, but I'm with it. Like, I'm with it. You know, I think it was like my 21st birthday. Like, right after my 21st birthday, I had like a going away party. I moved to Oregon and, uh, yeah, I had a little desk set up. It was like on a little foldable table in the corner. And I just learned a lot. Um, 
then you had your Evan Larson and Cooper working in the in the shop packaging, and then the U.S. Um, manufacturer was across the street from there. So we're constantly bouncing back and forth, getting photos and content that I needed to use to promote the brand, and uh, you know working working day by day with with the owner, which was that was sweet. And it is rare to work in the industry. That's such a niche industry, even though it's so big, you know, from going to like just riding for the brand and then getting a career opportunity out of it. Um, you know, I had to make some sacrifices moving to Oregon, living with my friend Ryan up church and sort of knowing nobody besides scooter riders. So it went, you know, yeah, I was working 40 hours in, in the office, but like then I would go ride. Then I needed to use that content. And it was just like, scooter and scooter and scooter and scooter and like nothing else you know yeah I'm, I'm out in oregon like new state new mindset and uh yeah did that yeah very cool um so like tell us you know like i'm just intrigued you know because it's not often that like you said you get to hear of uh you know directly from uh someone who's able to get a career from scootering other than just you know riding in a full um so i'm just a bit more curious like uh yeah that's why i'm hammering you with these questions but um sort of like you know so you were at the office 40 days a week like like is your tasks like completely different every day what were some of the you know the biggest functions that you you had to accomplish yeah so there was like bullet points that covered different things like you know, work on product design a little bit, make sure we're on the forefront of that. Um, marketing material from photos, uh, video content, ads, which then trickled into the gra- working with the graphic designer and how to use that stuff on different platforms. Make sure the riders also shared all that, which also was a different role was team management. So the marketing director covered a lot of different things. Like I would manage trade shows, which like, um, getting the booth and sort of the, the layout of what we're going to do and when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, trips for all the riders. We had a budget for the whole team. So making sure this everything made sense and working with the boss to also with this new role, making sure I'm doing it as effectively as I can. Um, you know, and then also when you're working for someone for so long, you always want to grow. So it was like, I have to also document everything I'm doing proactively, not just a little day by day. Like, yeah, I made an Insta post. I made a Facebook post. I made sure the riders posted it. It's like that shit has to happen every day. So almost that didn't almost didn't count, you know? So like my office job started getting more, more serious with just like, I need to put my head down and actually do some stuff that's going to grow the company and get more sales. So here I find myself calling shops, getting my face out there, sort of being the face of Phoenix and establishing that at such a, you know, an early stage for Phoenix was, was critical and crucial for me to stay in the industry. So like if I didn't have that opportunity, who knows how much more I would have scootered or, you know, had my face out there being the face of Phoenix. So it had its pros and cons of how much time I was working, but it was definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's amazing. That's really cool to hear. Um, I'm a little curious more about, um, you know, just the graphic design, just cause I personally, um, love graphic design. Who was doing the designs for, for Phoenix? 
at the time it was Ryan Upchurch. So Ryan Upchurch and I moved out to Oregon and he basically, he basically was in charge of all graphic design work, anywhere from, from creating logos, from creating banners. Um, and dude, like it sounds simple. It sounds easy, but like he worked way more than 40 wow. hours a week and it was just him on the computer. Um, making ads with the product, making ads with the riders, making banners for different different size banners for different websites, um, which at the time a bunch of online shops needed to help sell our product. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so Ryan Upchurch was the graphic designer for Phoenix at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that, you know, it did, did take more yeah. than 40 hours a week. It's you know, a lot of time to, you know, perfect beautiful creations. Um, yeah. And I'm also a bit, a bit curious. Um, so like what were, you know, some of the places that you get Phoenix would advertise, was it solely on like scooter shops to, you know, get more sales from retailers or what were some of the ideas of how, you know, you guys could increase sales? So, make sure that they had actual wait i'm sorry dan it, it um it, it blocked off for a minute there if you could start at the beginning again my apologies all good man um so yeah phoenix sold around the world and every store around the world actually needed like physical banners or physical posters or um you know like anything from like the posters being of the the logo of phoenix or of photos of the riders so um, yeah, just, um, making sure that we're, we're physical in people's stores at skate parks and also an online presence with the same stuff on their websites and also being proactive of having those people push our stuff. So contacting them every day, making sure that they know about us and hear about us. They have our support. They have questions. They can call us. But in return, we're also giving them stickers. We're giving them posters. We're we're working with our riders to have them visit and do autograph signings and like, you know, ride days, contests, jams. So just sort of being physically there and being having an online presence with all that marketing material ties in with the team and um, just having a presence everywhere worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's definitely, you know, important to to focus on both in person and web. I was, um, yeah. Um, and now was most of the sort of uh, advertising, I guess, or the, you know, content being created specifically for scootering shops? Um, or were there sort of other streams of, um, I guess, advertising? Yeah, like sort of, it, you know, all this ties back to selling the product so yeah it's sold at shops it's sold online so it's basically just a support system to help sell more products so yeah you of know course. most of that stuff's created for shops um for for social media for the skate parks for all the websites too so um yeah okay yeah amazing um cool could, could you tell us um what was your best memory with Phoenix? Was it a trip or a specific day? I don't know if you have something that comes straight to mind or. Man, there's so many good ones. It's hard. You can give us a few, whatever you did like. 
um, when Tom Floyd owned the company, I know he flew out the whole, whole team every year for like sort of just a review for product and team. So it was just this one time at the year and it just so happened to be around my birthday in August. Um, I believe your birthday's in August too, right? Nope. June. Nope. Okay. <laughs> but you're Long good. Person. You're good. No worries. If you remember that, that would have been incredible. <laughs> yeah. Wrong person. Um, no, no worries. Yeah. No worries. Every year we'd, we'd come out, all of us, and there'd be like a fat crew of us all just in the warehouse. Like, all right, where do we want the, how do we want the product to look next year? Um, what do we, what's the ideas we want to do with the team? We would have like a birthday jam at the shop for me, like at the time too. Um, so just like every year we would all get together, order a bunch of food and sort of just like spend the whole day in the warehouse talking and communicating with each other. So that was just awesome to look forward to because it was like no contest. It wasn't like a lot of pressure. It was just like he's investing into us for us to give him feedback on how like the direction we want the company to go in. So, you know, Phoenix had such a strong foundation at, at those early ages with just investing into the riders and, and having the riders sort of be the that push for the brand. So every year that was like the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's awesome that, you know, invest in pretty much your guys' vision because it's important, you know, if the, the scooter riders don't don't truly back what uh you know what the company's doing, you can only go so far in a way. Um so that's that's definitely amazing and probably really nice to just get to see everyone and hang out. Yeah. Um amazing. So I think I think that's enough about the past, you know, chatting about Phoenix. So let's let's get I guess a bit in, more into the future. Like, tell us tell us what lies ahead, Dan. Do you have any future plans or aspirations, if any, or you know, just kind of tell us. Yeah, so a huge aspiration is pretty much just ride for the rest of my life, regardless if that's being, like you said, uh, you know, being one of the best riders out there in my own little niche way. It's like. I still always want to have fun with it, ride forever, and um, travel, of course, because it's like, you know, there's so much to see and there's so much people to meet, um, and I got a little taste of that over the years. So, yeah, huge aspiration is just continue riding and pushing myself physically and mentally with riding in, in, in those contests like Coalition, um, the street jams, just like sort of just being out there regardless if I'm, if I'm killing myself it's it's i'm out there having fun so i definitely look forward to just many more decades of scooter riding yeah absolutely that's amazing that's amazing yeah um tell us tell us a bit more about your your relationship with aztec right now dan yeah so the owner's don marconi he's a scooter rider so um at the time when aztec was selling the turnstile it was like I'm working with him a little bit and I knew Dom over the years, but not so much until Aztec came on board with Turnstile. And that's, that's sort of when like there was no team, but he wanted a team. So, you know, I was one of the first riders on Aztec and it was, it was just cool to work with a rider who sort of had the same aspect or same visions and, and aspirations towards scootering. So him working with the factory every day, him working on product design. So it was easy to implement a signature deck. It was easy to like just ride something that's great and like 
you know, you just feel 100% great about. So it was just an organic, like, grassroots um, connection working with Aztec. It was, it was just, uh, yeah, it was sweet. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure it makes everything a lot easier when, you know, the owner is a rider who, you know, cares about the product uh, on, on another level because, you know, he uses it and can identify with how it feels and, you know, works. And, yeah, so definitely back everything that Aztecs do and gets me hyped to see all the progress um, for sure. Um, yeah, so tell us, tell us a bit about some of your experience judging some contests lately. I know you were at the Nitro World Games and several ISA contests, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been judging, like, contests for a while, man. I remember even judging, like, a TIC contest um, when I was on Phoenix. So, like, like, like way back when Tom Floyd owned Phoenix. And, uh, yeah, and I became part of the ISA board when that started up sort of creating a criteria judging video for four judges around the world who also are going to be judging isa sanctioned events so if i'm not there they sort of can watch this video and you know kind of pick out how the what's the best way to judge scootering in such a small amount of time um <clears throat> so yeah one from nitro world games i've judged that a few times I say contests around the world and uh you know I think it's just it's it's very special just like I feel like I owe it to scootering to judge those contests as well so even though some of those other judges might not take it as personal or as serious it's like I'm there giving it 110 percent and being and being like you know such like on a developing stage that hopefully one day when scootering's in the Olympics I'll be like part of that board where I'm judging scootering in the Olympics and I, I sure very think so that's going to be the you know the the direction it's going in and if it doesn't well that's just, that's a dream of mine when scootering gets in the Olympics I'm going to be a part of the judging for that so just sort of uh, me owing it to the industry I just I really enjoy the judging aspect of it yeah yeah absolutely and regarding the Olympics when that happens, I will be there hundred thousand percent, of course, and uh, I will definitely be like, be like, yo, Dan, you're gonna be, you're gonna be judging. It's gonna happen, Dan. I'm telling you, and I'm gonna be like, remember the podcast, Dan. <laughs> yep. So just yeah. wanted to side note that because it's it's gonna happen. I'm telling you, um, and I'm gonna be super stoked to, yeah. But, um, yeah, amazing. Um, so then you've, you've pushed your, your personal limits for countless years and, you know, pretty much the, yeah. the, what, what the technical, you good? Yeah, yeah, you're just breaking up. I'm on the New Jersey Turnpike, one of the, one of the shittiest states out there, so we might get some shitty service. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see what happens if, uh, if we can keep going. We'll, we'll go for it, but, cool. um, yeah, so, um, you know, you've pushed your limits for countless years and pretty much pushed the limits of what's possible and, technical riding and scootering really to another level like what's motivated you throughout all these years Dan? dude i would just say uh the having fun part it's like it's just special being so good at something and having people like actually get inspired and motivated uh for what you do so it's like 
you know, I guess I, it goes back to, to own it to like those other people who get inspired and motivated and like even step it up 10 times higher because for example, those European riders, like their technical riding is like four or five years ahead of all of ours. And uh, yeah, it's just cool when I meet those guys. Cause it's like, those are their early days. Like they're looking up to me and they, they reference their riding back over to me. So <clears throat> what keeps me going and motivated is just uh, is sharing that feeling and sharing that, that moment with other riders and that'll never die because there's always people coming in the sport there's there's thousands of people like riding around the world and and sort of feel the same way i do so it's like it's just that that sharing feeling of uh out there riding you know that's what it comes down to yeah yeah no absolutely i mean it's something that's always amazed me about scootering is like how it just, you know, enables us to have such connection with so many people around the world. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So we talked a bit about, you know, your inspirations when you were beginning. Um, but do you have like a biggest inspiration inspirations or, you know, maybe a mentor who's helped kind of shape who you are today? I guess when it goes back to riding, like those first early ages, Martin Kimball, like his riding was like, insane way before it's time and like to this day i still get like that feeling of when i think back to his riding it's like the shit he was doing it's it was even though it was on a small scooter his style was insane and he like it just sort of reflected a bmx style which i come from with like around levittown there's a huge like bmx influence in my riding but uh yeah martin kimball was huge with all of his technical tricks at such an early age and then from there, it, it, it definitely trickled from BMX because my family and my close friends were, were so into it. Um, and then, yeah, just all my homies, like, you know, your Cooper Clars, like just people who have so much like pure enjoyment of that riding. It's like that never gets old. So, you know, that's what motivates me. And that's where I get my inspiration from is like you're bouncing ideas off those people who feel the same way. And that riding is just like endless. Yeah. Yeah. No, without a doubt. That's, that's awesome to hear. Um, yeah. What, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from scootering? If, if there is one, and I guess sort of, how does it apply to your life? Like both on and off the scooter? Oh, that's a good one, man. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess to sum it up would be like, you know how you're trying to trick and, like, at first you sort of have that vision or you sort of have that feeling of what you want to do and how you want to do it, but you're not yeah, really sure how you're, gonna do, how you're going to get there, how you're going to land it. It sort of ties into, like, you know, you want to get this combo. It might take 100 or 200 tries and you have somebody else filming, so you're worrying about them. And there's so many of these, like, different points hitting you that, like, stresses you out or puts pressure on you but you start to figure these little things out and it's just like, it's just like eventually you'll get there with that hard work or with that like vision. So I guess, I guess that ties into just like that applies to anything, you know, like, Oh, you want to, you want to plumb in a whole apartment complex. I don't know how the hell I'm going to do it, but like you take that first step and like you, you figure out the blueprints and you sort of just like piece things together. And eventually that vision starts to come like, a little bit to life and you just continue working at that so scootering has taught me that like everything is sort of 
like everything's sort of on that wavelength of if you can't do it, if you don't know how to do it, but you want to, it's just like you work towards it. You take that first step and like you get through it and it might take a while. It might, you know, might be hard, but like if it's what you want and you work towards it, it's like inevitable of it happening. So from scootering, from, from like goals to career opportunities or career choices, um, I think that applies to everything. So I, I learned that at such an early age and throughout the years that I still do in scootering, but I also took that out of scootering, whether it's getting a job or going to school or getting a house or, you know, um, things I want to do with my girlfriend, setting goals and, and initiating them. It's like, uh, you know, scootering definitely reflects that for me. Yeah. No, without a doubt, that was an incredible answer, Dan. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, no, from that, that's one of my favorite questions because for me, like, what I've learned from scootering that's applied to my life externally is like, you know, like changed my life. Like, because I learned so much from scootering, like I've been able to do so much more as well, both on and off the scooter. Just kind of realizing, like, um, like you, you can really do anything you put your mind to. Like, you just have to focus and you know execute on the things you desire and pretty much be like i'm gonna do this and you know you fucking do it and you focus and you get it done whatever it is you desire and it doesn't have to be on a scooter it really applies to all goals so that's definitely yeah, one man. of my Absolutely. favorite it yeah. goes from like it could be easy as a tail whip or it could be as easy as or as hard as like you know freaking like building an empire state building i don't know like let's yeah are a little smaller than that maybe like like i went back to like plumbing a whole apartment complex yeah exactly. it, it's, it's the same ideas it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna learn these little tricks i'm gonna like kind of get the idea of how it's gonna happen but it's it's literally the same it's the same instructions but you're just applying it to different things and yeah you know i, I feel like that helps get get through things yeah without a doubt and it's you know like you said it works on a bigger small scale like um it's definitely changed my life and my, my daily attitudes towards everything, whether it's just like, all right, like I need to, um, you know, like focus and get, um, I don't know, like I'm still in university. So maybe a university project done. It's like, I have all my creative, uh, ideas with Oleta, um, you know, try and help provide the best content I can. Like I, I never thought I'd be starting a podcast. I never know how to record a podcast or, you know, set up an interview or, um, so, you know, just relating that to now or, you know, creating a website or, you know, um, all the graphic design stuff that I can do now and pretty much just the way I talk and breathe and feels, you know, all kind of based off of my mental state, which has, you know, been pretty derived from what I've learned from scootering. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that was an amazing answer. Thank you, Dan. Um, but, yeah, so tell us um about your favorite scootering trip you've ever taken if there is one that stands out shit man uh, <laughs> i've only i've only been well i don't know damn dude probably not an easy it's, one yeah it's it's hard to compare because i've been to russia a few times china a few times all over europe uh canada mexico and it's like all those things stick with me but like yeah dude i think a huge one was probably switzerland only been there once saw saw lake geneva saw the mountains across lake geneva i still have water in my bedroom from lake geneva oh wow you know i had fish oil pills or yeah like a fish oil bottle 
empty that out, put it in something else, and I, I filled that fish oil bottle of, of Lake Geneva water, took it back with me, and, and <laughs> kept it in like a glass jar that says Lake Geneva and stuff on it. But from that Switzerland trip, you know, I'm like, I'm like on Phoenix, but the whole Razor team's there, like Corey Moshbrooker. We have the ISA boards there, so you have your Martin Kimball there. Eric Rabble, I met. He was on micro. He was, dude. I get my nose manuals from Eric Rabble. He was one of the first guys on micro just bobbing and weaving through Cone's nose manual. And he was there. I met him for the first time. Uh, Terry Price, Benjamin Frant, like the whole Razor team, Phoenix team. Not the whole Phoenix team, but a lot of the Phoenix riders were there. Um, some proto guys were there. It was just like it was the Montreal Comp, and it's one of the it's one of the longest annual contests going other than SD. And that's in Switzerland. So just competing with them, getting third in street, which was my first contest beating. Like, you know, I sort of have this competition background of uh, being competitive. So that's the first street contest or even contest in general I beat Dakota shoots at in, in the street park. So that was like huge. There was a mini ramp contest and I love mini ramps. I think I got like fifth or sixth place in that competing with the whole Envy team. Um you know, and also against the guys that I, I grew up looking up to. And, uh, yeah, then afterwards just going out to a restaurant partying, and then that restaurant was an American owner, and that American <laughs> owner had, like, a Nabisco job. He worked at Nabisco, but he also was from this town called Newtown, which is around Levittown. So, like, asking him where he's from and he's like oh i'm from newtown pennsylvania and i'm like i'm from fucking levittown <laughs> we're, we're fucking sitting in switzerland having an american burger drinking beer got his dog <laughs> sitting at the restaurant too and it's like i'm a huge dog advocate man like that's my spirit animal oh yeah and uh i'm having a beer with martin kimball and terry price is sitting across and ali kermarni and it's like all these dudes that helped shape who i am at that time and me having, like, a little third-place bronze medal around my neck. And, like, you know, Switzerland was, like, regardless of how expensive it is there, that Switzerland trip was, like, like huge, man. I'll always remember that one. Wow, so amazing. And around what year was that? Oh, good question. Um, you, I was on Phoenix. If you don't know exactly, that's right. Yeah, I wore a Phoenix jersey at that contest, and uh, I'd have to go back on my timeline, but um, it was the only time I went to Switzerland, so shit, man, 2012, 2013, maybe. Okay, yeah, no, no, that's cool, that's that's all I need, yeah, but I went to the um, Montreux contest two years ago, and wow, the energy is just through the roof at that through place. Through the roof, man, like, oh, oh it's man, amazing. Like, you had a uh, hell Mary. He's from Finland and he's just like, he's a, like, he always has a smile on his face and he had his own little Finland section, like taped out. And he had his like Finland <laughs> homies. And it's just like, this is the Finland corner. And they're all just like, they're doing the <laughs> so wave. Sweet. Like everybody's getting hype. Everybody's doing like shit that they can't land, but throwing themselves and getting rowdy and loud. It's that, that was a contest. Yeah, absolutely, and it was uh, it was definitely really awesome for me because I was out in Europe for about six months, and I was getting really close with the um, you know a lot of the European riders, and um, 
you know, I'd see them pretty frequently. There were so many events when I was there. And then uh, and it was so good just to get everyone together again at Montreux. And then I, I won their uh, – they had a, a vert contest for the first time. Yeah. So I, that was amazing. Um, I'm sure you killed me. And, man, how – yeah, I want I want another vert contest. We need to get a mega ramp contest with the quarter included, but won't tangent on that. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, um, yeah, but so we've talked a lot about the past. I'm you know curious to step into the present a little bit more. Um, kind of take us through a typical day in your life, like now, like you're in Pennsylvania, and you know what do you do? Like walk us through what starting when you wake up, I guess to the end, like. So I wake up, I put my socks on, I take a poop. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, so day by day, like, I do, like, a plumbing HVAC job. So that started recently. So I'm, I'm definitely working by trade now. Um, I also scooter on the weekends. I have, like, sometimes a three- or four-day weekend. I catch myself riding a lot on the weekends. I do have Woodward readily nearby. So I'm, I'm there on the off-season. Um I'm working with them of what weeks I'm going to be there during the summer. Um, I'm a homeowner now too. So oh, amazing. Been for almost like two years now. So I'm really in into working with my hands. So I'm uh, sort of renovating my house with, with building out the bedrooms, um, working on the floors, drywalling, spackling, painting. Like I really find enjoyment in that. Um, yeah, and I'm also into like just staying active. So I, I see myself running a lot. I've done a five, a few five Ks, which isn't much, but I really like to see myself move up in times and like in the bracket of those races. So the last one was the Yingling Five K in Bethlehem, PA, and that was basically around celebrating beer. You know, like <laughs> so sweet. And I'm a huge, I'm a huge beer drinker as well. Like, I just enjoy beer, you know what I mean? Not, like, a huge – like, I don't drink every day, like, to the yeah, max, yeah. but I really enjoy some craft beer. So I see myself going to breweries a lot, um, you know, and supporting those events like the Yangling 5K. Um, yeah, and then my girlfriend I've been dating for over a year now, and she lives out near me, so she just bought a house. So we're sort of – my first time ever where I'm actually, like – building something up with my girlfriend and having goals and and getting to them so i feel like yeah uh you know whatever you want to call it adulting or whatever it's just <laughs> it's, it's it's fun having a having a house now a girlfriend um back into my trade work and also having scootering sort of being my main hobby i have a video part dropping really soon for oh hell that. yes um i'm really hyped on it and justin phillips it's it's plus so um yeah i'm really looking forward to that just comparing it to my old videos and seeing how i progressed or how my style has changed so just always you know always working on myself whether it's personal life uh i i do enjoy plumbing i've been you know doing plumbing work with my uncle way before high school so going to a trade school, learning that, going to night school, get my apprenticeship program done, um, working in the field, whether that be the union or or for companies around the state, doing side jobs. Um, yeah, and everything in between, man. Like last weekend, I cut a big-ass tree down um, that was in between my house and my neighbor's house. He, my neighbor wanted it down. 
he said he'd go half on it. And, uh, yeah, me and my friends sort of <laughs> hustled him. And we said we were – we sort of said we hired a company to cut it down, but it was just my friends. And we all we all made some money that weekend and, and learned how to cut, like, Holy a 70-foot tree down <laughs> that was supposed to only fall one way. So, like, uh, you know, I felt what it was like to have some anxiety. But uh, it was fun and just, like, you know – filled with adrenaline just doing something different that i don't know how to do but learning how to do always the best uh constantly so good cool couple side questions favorite beer (laughs) with that question um i love there's a brewery out of um out of pennsylvania called trogues and they make a lot of seasonal beers but my favorite would probably have to be broken heels ipa from um, New Trail Brewery out of Williamsburg, okay. Pennsylvania. Awesome. And um, regarding your living situation right now, uh, is, is it just you in the house or roommates or I don't know? No, Ryan Upchurch. Oh, Ryan yeah? Upchurch is there too. He's he's continuing oh. his design work, so, working freelance. So cool. He's uh, yeah, he's he's busy, man. He's just uh, he's working with a lot of different people, perfecting his craft, growing his brands, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, without a doubt. Cool, that's awesome. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Nor did I realize that he was in Pennsylvania. Super cool. Um, yeah, when I yeah. come, uh, so I, I should have mentioned earlier when you're talking about uh, ISA judging. I'm actually, uh, I was talking to Martin Kimball about working uh, to be an ISA judge this this season. So I have no idea yet, but maybe, possibly, I'll come out to the the Woodward qualifier. I don't know if you'll be there and nice. judging but if so i'll be able to see you guys then which would be awesome um yeah man. yeah i will for That's sure well. but like i said i do not know yet but hopefully i'll be able to make it out um cool um so sort of tell us a bit about the evolution you've seen in yourself like over the last like decade or or so in your mentality you know from maybe longer than a decade or i don't know however long i forget um, like sort of the evolution of your mentality from like a young scooter rider to, you know, like the man that you are today, I guess. Um, I would say with the traveling and the people I've met and some of the experiences I've gone through, it's helped me sort of, you know, from living back in, in the suburb area, I felt like I was a really fast paced sort of pressure on myself, high paced, just like go, go, go. If things fall short, I find myself mad or I find myself getting frustrated. So I think over the years I've mellowed out a lot. I think, I think Matt McKean called me like, Oh, you're like a new Dan. I'm like, he called me like West coast Dan. Cause I guess like maybe West coast changed me a little bit with just being more chill. But, uh, I definitely found myself just becoming more relaxed, taking things just you know, situation comes up. I'm not one to show expression so much and sort of just like, you know, going through it just as easy and calmly as I can. So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, just more calm and Um, and chiller. And now what what do you think, uh, sort of attributed to that mostly, do you think it is the experiences you've had and the people you've met, you know, sort of where you were living or you think there's something specifically that attributes to that or just, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot of little different things like moving to the West Coast, finding a career in the scooter industry, not having so much pressure on making ends meet with 
you know, working 40 plus hours a week with my hands and, and putting my body through these jobs that I don't want to work at. So um, from being sort of like not too comfortable, still learning and like learning new things of, of how I'm going to work in scootering, it just was, uh, it was cool to, you know, I guess take my career from from outside scooter work to in scooter work, moving to the West Coast, having all scooter friends, being around just like chill vibes all day um, and just sort of having my, my life revolve around something I love made me sort of appreciate life like to the max way more than, than if I wasn't. Um, and then taking that back, moving back to the East Coast and getting more back into plumbing work, it's, I've, I've kept that aspect of, you know, life's great after all and just enjoy the yeah. ride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And that's, I can definitely resonate with that. I used to be, uh, you know, I know I'm still so young, but I used to be, I'm still extremely energetic, but like, I used to be like a little more, I have this, this big calm side of me now that I didn't used to have, I guess, um, you know, but I think it's solely shaped off of my experiences and the people I've been lucky enough to meet over, you know, the last several years, like the more people you get to more experiences you get to have that are like drastically different, the more you're able to take away from each different little scenario and, and grow. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to get to meet a lot of people from different cultures and places and completely different backgrounds. So then you kind of take aspects of so many different things from different people. And then it kind of builds you in a different way. Um, yeah Absolutely. yeah um amazing so do you do you have any like habits uh, or like philosophies or routines that sort of play a big part in your life um hmm i don't know man i like being organized um it sort of keeps me on track and uh i see myself getting kind of flustered when things aren't organized so you know, I got a planner. I like to stay proactive on what I'm doing for the week or for the day and initiating my time as effectively as I can. Um, and if I fall short, I, I learn not to get mad or beat myself over up over it because you sort of got that one thing in mind, what you're building towards as long as you're building towards it. So just staying on track and organization for me is is a pretty big, uh, you know, foundation. Yeah, for that. amazing. So you're telling us um, a bit about your trip in Switzerland earlier, so potentially could overlap, but maybe not. But what's what's your best memory in life? Is there one? I know it's a big question, but yeah. Shit, man. Um, hmm. No, you're you're good. Know, that's man. that's not an easy that's... one. No worries. Well, if you want to. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, what was the hardest trick for you to land in your life? Sort of take us through the scenario and your mental process when working to land that, that trick. I mean, I guess I technically didn't land it, but technically I might have. But it was just a Smith front flip. Um, and, you know, I'm doing it at a concrete skate park, so I have pads out. And one front flip, I'm, like, landing <laughs> on the mat and riding away. My next front flip, I'm I'm on my back. Um, so I rode away on the mat, which I guess technically was or wasn't a land, whatever. But uh, maybe yeah. even a double scooter flip. Like, Cody Donovan beat me by a week or two of doing the first double scooter flip fly out. So 
when I did it at at uh, the indoor skate park in the mall back in the day in Philly called X Game United or Woodward, whatever it was Which called. was Black Diamond, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Black okay. Diamond, yeah. Black Diamond. Um, so, yeah, it was a double bry flip fly out, and I did it on my old A and, you know, filmed myself. Kevin Van Ocker's press and record did not record. <laughs> wow. <laughs> not record. Yeah. He's press and record. Um, so, yeah, that was cool because I know I was one of the first doing it, and Cody Donovan inspired me to do it. And uh, just saying I was the first guy in the U.S. to do a double bry flip, like, that yeah. was huge for me. So, it was, you know, it took a while. I tried to do it at TIC, best trick one of the years. I couldn't land it. That was when I was on micro. A few years later, I did it when I was on my razor. Um, and then I took it over hips. I did a few double bry flips over hips. And, um, you know, that was that was Yeah, huge. yeah. No, amazing. I, I do remember seeing... Um, I'm not sure if it's in your video parts or where I saw it, but I for sure remember seeing you do double bry. Um, and I was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I was just, yeah. So that was, that was really sweet when I, whenever I saw that a few years ago. Um, what's the biggest accomplishment of your life, Dan? Not an easy question again, but. Yeah, probably just, uh, taking my life and moving it to Oregon when I was 21. Um, sort of everything I knew, the people I knew, my family, and just going to pursue like what I believed in. That was that was just something to come out, like get over uh, mentally. It's just like go move across country and go settle and call somewhere else home. So that was, you know, took a while to settle in and be be an accomplishment. Yeah. But I would say, you know, just follow my dream and yeah. moving out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, man. I'm, uh, I don't know what else we got going on. I'm, I'm definitely getting close to, uh, getting okay, cool. Work, we'll, we'll wrap know, it up then. Um, up. so just, call, um, do you have any specific, oh, we were touch on, I get, how much more minutes have you got about approximately Are you getting in there right now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, uh, no worries. Yeah, I think that's honestly a perfect time to end. I think uh, we covered an awful lot and I think right. our listeners will definitely be stoked. But before we close, could you just like, I don't know, anything you want to close out with? Like any closing words, anyone you'd like to thank or last words of inspiration for our listeners? Yeah, man. If you scooter, just, um, you know, keep that organic like feeling of scooter and, in uh in the forefront of of riding and just you know continue to ride to have fun because you know that's why you're in it anyway unless you come from like a competitive family or something but scootering's about having fun so if you just continue and get out there every damn day and ride um you know just get outside on your scooter and you'll find some sort of happiness i'm sure if you're listening to this whether it's on a bike or a skateboard it's you know just just get out there and do it because uh that's what it's about. Amazing. Amazing. Well, seriously, Dan, super stoked. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like it's been freaking pleasure. It's been super good. And I'm pretty sure our listeners are going to be stoked on this one. And I'm, I'm definitely stoked. It's definitely nice to get to chat. It's been a while. So. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. And thanks for reaching out. And, uh, yeah, this was sweet, man. I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well. I'm super stoked. 
All right, bud. Well, I'll leave you to it. Um, hope to see you soon. And yeah, have an, have an awesome rest of the day, my man. All right, dog. You too, man. I'll Sounds see you good, bud. Much love. I genuinely want to thank you for tuning in thus far, and I invite you to tune into future episodes where I interview the world's top riders. I also invite you to visit our website, olaybrand.com, to view the best scootering video parts in the industry today, as well as our Instagram and Facebook, at olaybrand, to find the best scootering clips of today. I would seriously be infinitely grateful for your support in helping me grow this mission and supporting this podcast by purchasing any of our clothing on our website linked in the show notes at olaybrand.com. And if you're interested in following me personally, feel free at my Instagram, at Jared Adelson. Lastly, I invite you to share this link on your social networks and with your friends to help the show gain traction so we can motivate and inspire more individuals around the world. Before closing, I genuinely can't thank you enough for tuning in on this episode of The Olay Brand Podcast. I welcome any and all feedback so I can constantly improve and provide the most valuable and entertaining content possible to you. Thanks so much again. This is Jared Adelson. It's an absolute pleasure to be your host, and I wish much love and smiles to you, and that you have an absolutely amazing rest of the day.